Hello and welcome back to The Dreamy Mind. This is the podcast that helps you fall asleep by using guided meditations and sleep stories, followed by relaxing nature sounds. Tonight I will continue with the story of Anne of Green Gables that I started previously. This will be portion number two. Before I begin, let's center ourselves by taking a few deep breaths. So wherever you are, however you're feeling, tune in now and together let's inhale. Deep, long inhale and exhale, slow, smooth exhale. Let's do one more together. Inhale and exhale, make it long and smooth. Great, let's get into the story. So I left off the last portion of the story with Mrs. Rachel about to approach Miss Cuthbert at her Green Gables property, and that's where we'll continue from today. Mrs. Rachel, before she had fairly closed the door, had taken a mental note of everything that was on the table. There were three plates laid so that Marilla must be expecting someone home with Matthew to tea. But the dishes were everyday dishes, and there was only one crab apple preserves and one kind of cake, so that the expected company could not be any particular company. Yet what of Matthew's white collar and the sorrel mare? Mrs. Rachel was getting fairly dizzy with this unusual mystery about quiet, unmysterious Green Gables. Good evening, Rachel, Marilla said briskly. This is a real fine evening, isn't it? Won't you sit down? How are all your folks? Something that, for lack of any other name, might be called friendship existed and always had existed between Marilla Cuthbert and Mrs. Rachel, in spite of, or perhaps because of, their dissimilarity. Marilla was a tall, thin woman with angles and without curves. Her dark hair showed some gray streaks and was always twisted up in a hard little knot behind two wire hairpins stuck aggressively through it. She looked like a woman of narrow experience and rigid conscience, which she was. There was a saving something about her mouth which, if it had been ever so slightly developed, might have been considered indicative of a sense of humor. We're all pretty well, said Mrs. Rachel. I was kind of afraid you weren't, though, when I saw Matthew starting off today. I thought maybe he was going to the doctor's. Marilla's lips twitched understandably. She had expected Mrs. Rachel up. 
she had known that the sight of Matthew jaunting off so unaccountably would be too much for her neighbor's curiosity. Oh, no, I'm quite well, although I had a bad headache yesterday, she said. Matthew went to Bright River. We're getting a little boy from an orphan asylum in Nova Scotia, and he's coming on the train tonight. If Marilla had said that Matthew had gone to Bright River to meet a kangaroo from Australia, Mrs. Rachel could not have been more astonished. She was actually stricken dumb for five seconds. It was unsupposable that Marilla was making fun of her, but Mrs. Rachel was almost forced to suppose it. Are you in earnest, Marilla? She demanded when her voice returned to her. Yes, of course, said Marilla, as if getting boys from orphan asylums in Nova Scotia were part of her usual spring work on any well-regulated Avonlea farm instead of being an unheard-of innovation. Mrs. Rachel felt that she had received a severe mental jolt. She thought in exclamation points, A boy! Marilla and Matthew Cuthbert, of all people, adopting a boy from an orphan asylum. Well, the world was certainly turning upside down. She would be surprised at nothing after this. Nothing. What on earth put such a notion into your head? She demanded disapprovingly. This had been done without her advice being asked and must perforce be disapproved. Well, we've been thinking about it for some time. All winter, in fact, returned Marilla. Mrs. Alexander Spencer was up here one day before Christmas, and she said she was going to get a little girl from the asylum over in Hopton in the spring. Her cousin lives there, and Mrs. Spencer has visited here and knows all about it. So Matthew and I have talked it over off and on ever since. We thought we'd get a boy. Matthew is getting up in years, and you know, he's 60. He isn't so spry as he once was. His heart troubles him a good deal, and you know how desperate hard it is to get good hired help. So in the end, we decided to ask Mrs. Spencer to pick us up one when she went over to get her little girl. We heard last week she was going, so we sent her word from Richard Spencer's folks at Carmody to bring us a smart, likely boy of about 10 or 11. We decided that would be the best age, old enough to be of some use in doing chores right off and young enough to be trained up proper. We meant to give him a good home and schooling. He had a telegram from Mrs. Alexander Spencer today. The mailman brought it from the station, saying that they were coming on the 5.30 train tonight. So Matthew went to Bright River to meet him. Mrs. Spencer will drop him off there. Of course, she goes on to White Sand Station herself. Mrs. Rachel prided herself on always speaking her mind and proceeding to speak it now, having adjusted her mental attitude to this amazing piece of news. Well, Marilla, 
I'll just tell you plain that I think you're doing a mighty foolish thing, a risky thing, that's what. You don't know what you're getting. You're bringing a strange child into your house and home and you don't know a single thing about him, nor what his disposition is like, nor what sort of parents he had, nor how he's likely to turn out. Why? It was only last week when I read in the paper how a man and his wife up west of the island took a boy out of an orphan asylum and he set fire to the house that night. Set it on purpose, Marilla. And nearly burnt them to a crisp in their beds. And I know another case where an abandoned boy used to suck the eggs. They couldn't break him of it. If you had asked my advice in the matter, which you didn't do, Marilla, I'd have said for mercy's sake not to think of such a thing, that's what. This job's comforting seemed neither to offend nor to alarm Marilla. She knitted steadily on. I don't deny there's something in what you say, Rachel. I've had some qualms myself, but Matthew was terrible set on it. I could see that, so I gave in. It's so seldom Matthew sets his mind on anything that when he does, I always feel it's my duty to give in. And as for the risks, there's risks in pretty near everything a body does in this world. There's risks in people having children of their own, if it comes to that. They don't always turn out well. And then Nova Scotia is right close to the island. It isn't as if we're getting him from England or the States. He can't be much different from ourselves. Well, I hope it will turn out all right, said Mrs. Rachel in a tone that plainly indicated her painful doubts. Only don't say I didn't warn you if he burns Green Gables down or puts Stycrene in the walls. I've heard of a case over in New Brunswick where an orphan asylum child did that and the whole family died in fearful agonies. Only it was a girl in that instance. Well, we're not getting a girl, said Marilla, as if poisoning wells were a purely feminine accomplishment and not to be dreaded in the case of a boy. I'd never dream of taking a girl to bring up. I wonder at Mrs. Alexander Spencer for doing it. But there. She wouldn't shrink from adopting a whole orphan asylum if she took it into her head. Mrs. Rachel would have liked to stay until Matthew came home with his imported orphan, but reflecting that it would be a good two hours at least before his arrival, she concluded to go up the road to Robert's Bell and tell the news. It would certainly make a sensation second to none, and Mrs. Rachel dearly loved to make a sensation. So she took herself away, somewhat to Marilla's relief, for the latter felt her doubts and fears reviving under the influence of Rachel's pessimism. Well, of all things that ever were or will be, ejaculated Mrs. Rachel when she was safely out in the lane, it does really seem as if I must be dreaming. Well, I'm sorry for that poor young one, and no mistake. Matthew and Marilla don't know anything about children, and they'll expect him to be wiser and steadier than his own grandfather. If so, bees, he's ever had a grandfather. 
which is doubtful. It seems uncanny to think of a child at Green Gables somehow. There's never been one there, for Matthew and Marilla were grown up when the new house was built. If they ever were children, which is hard to believe when one looks at them, I wouldn't be in that orphan's shoes or anything. My, but I pity him, that's what. So said Mrs. Rachel to the wild rose bushes out of the fullness of her heart. But if she could have seen the child who was waiting patiently at Bright River Station at that very moment, her pity would have been still deeper and more profound. That is the end of chapter one. Thanks for joining me tonight. Have a good sleep.